Welcome to UX Maturity. This is a podcast where we have conversations about the ins and outs of being a designer in tech. This is episode 51 already uh, in season three, and I'm your co-host, Susan. And I'm your co-host, Sandrine. If you like our podcast, please, please, please write and review us on your podcast platform or and or share it uh, on whatever social network you prefer to um, spread the word. We really appreciate it. And also if you have feedback, of course, uh, we'd love to hear what we're doing well and how we can improve. So today is a special episode because we have a guest with us. Um, love having guests on board. Uh, Yuri Martins is a principal product designer and he's here to chat to us about all things accessibility, which we're really, really excited about. So welcome to the podcast, Yuri. Would you like to share a little more about yourself and maybe how you became interested in accessibility? Yep. Thank you very much, Susan and Sandrine. Um, yeah. So um, as, as you said, I'm a product designer. Um, I think nowadays I'm a digital product designer. So working with, with software, um, I, I did my university in industrial design and with time I started transitioning to to more to digital product design. And in, in 2020, uh, nowadays I work at Typeform and in 2020 we started focusing on accessibility. We saw how important it was and that we had to make Typeform accessible. Uh, we knew that we had already a really good experience when answering a Typeform, but the experience wasn't available for everyone. And we wanted to make sure that we could improve that. So in 2020, we were lucky that our leadership actually bought in to make our product accessible and we were able to start working on it. And for me, I was super lucky that I was working on the team that works on the, on the experience of answering a Typeform, which was the one that we wanted to focus first to make it accessible. So from 2020 until up to today, I'm working on what we call the render team, which is the the team that is responsible for the respondent experience. And I started learning more and more about accessibility. I think before I had an interest, I tried to learn, but it was always hard to actually implement and to, after you learn, how can, how can I use it? And at Typeform, I was able to not only learn, but start implementing start seeing the issues of the implementation, which is very different from the theory when we learn. And not only myself uh, regarding design, but also the developers had to learn, PMs had to learn as well to understand what we were doing. And, and this is how it's, I started to learn. I, we started evolving uh, accessibility. We also had researchers um, that we started doing research on accessibility. We changed it a bit how we treat accessibility. I think we can talk a bit more about it. And, but yeah, it was in 2020. So it's now, I think, two years more or less that, that I've been working with it. I don't know anything yet, but uh, I know a little bit more than 2020, but still it's, it's a lot to learn and every day learning something new. That's so, that's so exciting. And um, I can completely relate to the fact that before I started implementing accessibility, it all felt so theoretical. Like I would read, um, uh, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this acronym, but WCAG, WCAG, the, yeah. the mm -hmm. web content accessibility, web content accessibility guidelines. Um, 
I would read it and it would all sort of make sense, but it was such a big gap between, you know, learning about it theoretically and, and then actually implementing it. Um, I'm curious to know what instigated the need for accessibility. Was it a small group of you who, who started um, talking more and more about the need for accessibility or did it come top down? Um, yeah, how was that process like? Yeah, so in the it, this was 2020. In the beginning, I think the first group that really started focusing on accessibility was um, a group of engineers. And they knew that independently if leadership will make this a priority or not, if we will be able to actually spend this time, let's start working on this. Let's learn about it. And whatever we are doing, let's make it accessible. But and, and being very honest, we had also issues on social media because we weren't accessible and people wanted us to be accessible. We needed to pass the WCAG requirements, the guidelines to make sure that more people could use it. So this group of engineers, not only this group of engineers, but also um, social media start, started making us see that this was actually important and we needed to improve ourselves and make sure that we could tackle accessibility. I think we were in a phase that we are getting a bit more mature as a company and we understood getting more mature. Mature mean, meant that we had to focus on accessibility and we were in a good time to focus on it. We started understanding a bit better. So not only this group of engineers, but also the leadership started seeing the importance I think these two converged so that we could start really working on it, which we we, we started. Nice. Yeah, I was wondering, you mentioned earlier that um, you went from that phase where you felt like everything was very theoretical to you to now being moving a bit more into the actual practice and what accessibility means in, in practice, really. So I was wondering what was that? journey in that shifts like and what helped you as well getting from that theory that we kind of I mean I'm definitely in that phase right now and I think a lot of people want to get a bit more into practical terms of how do I actually design uh, do accessibility by design so yeah could you talk a little bit about that shift how you made that happen um yeah so what when we started um we started focusing a lot on the WCAG requirements. And at that point, we first tried to understand, okay, we need to be accessible, but we have no idea how accessible or how not accessible we are. So the first thing we, we did was to hire a company to look at our accessibility. And this company basically gets our type forms. Um, our type forms have a, a lot of different question blocks. So they went one by one and understood what, what is working, what is not working, what can be improved regarding these requirements, if we were passing them or not. So this was the first step that we took into understanding how accessible we were or not. And we were not uh, good at all at these. And we started working to improve these. As we started working to improve these, I think we also start, started learning a bit more and we started talking to some users and at a point we understood that we needed to include assistive technology users into our conversation. We needed to understand from them what was an accessible experience. 
And in this journey, we understood that only checking the boxes on WCAG requirements was not enough. We needed to include these assistive technology users and not only understand what is accessible, but what is what has good usability. Um, and I think this is, uh, some people make the, it, it's quite hard to understand what is the difference between being inclusive and being um, accessible. And the truth is that being accessible is just one part of being inclusive. Inclusive means like making sure that you have everyone into account from the beginning. Accessible is just making sure that everyone can access. But if you start adding, if you start having these users from the beginning, you will start understanding how the experience is, how different it is, how can, you can make it better and how you can improve for everyone. So at some point we started shifting from just trying to, trying to pass these WCAG requirements to actually interview uh, assistive technology users, different assistive technologies, understand how they use, understand for them what is a good experience, what is not. And we saw that, yeah, in a lot of places we can be accessible, but we actually don't have a good experience and we still make it hard for them to actually use our product. So more and more we started evolving. This is when we were very heavy on research, which was mostly interviewing them, understanding, um, showing our type forms, trying to understand what works, what doesn't work. And then we started improving these. And nowadays it's a balance. We know that we need to be compliant with WCAG, but we also want to improve how people use. So nowadays we test also, every time we release something, we'll test and make sure that it's also working well. I, I love what you say about how it's it's not just enough to to check the boxes for for WCAG, but it's it's also about designing inclusively. And I tend to think a bit about it a bit from the same perspective as I think about how, let's say, it's not it's not enough to be diverse. Uh, you should be inclusive in how you build a company, or it's it's not enough to just be compliant with the GDPR, you should also actually think carefully about how you use customers' data. So it's, you know, there's compliance on one level and then there's being inclusive, which goes above and beyond just being compliant. Um, and yeah, so I very, very much agree with with your approach. Um, I, have a, I have a follow-up question, which I suppose is about process because what I observe sometimes is that companies or teams they they decide okay we we want to be accessible now and then they you know go through the WCAG and they check if they're compliant and maybe some of them also hire an external company to to look at their accessibility but then um sometimes what I observe is that they kind of go okay we're we're like they fix the issues the 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 most pressing issues to for example reach double a compliance and then they're done <laughs> and then they move on to the next thing. So, um, yeah, question about process. How do you make sure that you design accessibly throughout, you know, throughout your design process and don't just treat it as a, uh, as a, as a thing to do and then you're done and then you move on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th th this is a, a super hard one. I think it's, I think 
every process is perfect on the first days, but as, as you're giving weeks, months, years, the process starts falling apart, people change, um, which sometimes makes it really hard to follow through with things. Um, I do think at Typeform, we are still improving these. Um, it's, we don't have a perfect process for sure, but I think one thing we need to understand is we, you shouldn't rely only on one person to make sure that you are compliant, that you are accessible. This needs to be a team effort. This will be an effort from the design side. This will be a huge effort from the, from the engineering side. But this is also an effort from the PMs and leadership as well. You need to make sure that you are prioritizing. So at Typeform, we, we gather a lot, of, um, a lot of these people from these teams and we try to understand a little bit how the process could be of not only shipping accessible features or anything new that we create, we wanted to make accessible, but also how did we handle anything, any issue that we had. Um, and I think also the important thing is being true to ourselves that we know that we won't be able to ship 100% accessible every single time there will be issues. This, the same thing happens with software that we're doing all the time. We always ship with some issues, some bugs that we need to fix. So you need also to allow yourself to, sometimes you will have issues. I think the fo you have to focus on how you're gonna fix these issues. So we spoke to engineers and to PMs to understand at Typeform, we do have an incident um, workflow that any issue that we find how they are reported for how fast they should be they should be fixed and we started understanding how we can add accessibility to it so and because accessibility was different um, the amount of users sometimes is different as we as we prioritize we also shifted these a bit to make sure that it had the same importance as all the other issues. So this was an agreement between PMs, engineering, designers as well. So nowadays, every time we have an issue, we classify this issue and we fix them as soon as possible according to their priority, which takes into account um, a few different aspects. And for new features, we know that we have to be accessible. We know what we have to we know more or less what we need to build to make them accessible. So what we do is we build with what we know, and then we also check with in these interviews. I think at Typeform, we are lucky enough that we have, um, we have a partner, we have a, a company that we use that we can always interview different assistive technology users. So whenever we ship something, we want to understand better how we should build something. We'll book interviews, we'll book usability tests and see the issues that we have. And these we do constantly. So constantly we'll try to improve something, we'll see issues that we had and prioritize these issues as well. And this is more or less how, how we've been doing at Typeform. I love how um, the process is almost like a collective effort. And I really like the idea that you may have a, a champion maybe for accessibility, but at the end of the day, you can't just rely on, on one person. It has to be a team effort. And I was wondering, actually, you mentioned that um, 
leadership needs to be also on boards and obviously, you know, all kinds of functions need to be actively prioritizing accessibility as well. I was wondering what kind of uh, initiative have you maybe taken to try to incentivize people to care more about accessibility and how did you put accessibility on leadership's radar as well? Um, yeah, so when we, I think when we had the engineering team and we we had leadership also thinking about accessibility, we also had, I think it was a, um, a lot of lucky things that we had. Uh, we had a design manager that accessibility was one of her focus. So she was able to bring accessibility and show how important it is, not only to make sure that everyone on social media was okay, but how actually important it is. And she actually was able to bring um, leadership to it. Once we start, I think, we had a very big breakthrough once we were able to interview assistive technology users and understand. And the first interviews that we did were not even interviews just to show type form and see how it was. It was interviews just to talk to them and understand from them what is a good experience, what is not a good experience, why it is a good experience, why, why it is not. And all of these sessions were recorded so that later on we started showing them inside type form we wanted to educate people and to make sure that they understood what are the difficulties that people will have one because we don't have an accessible um, experience so we started showing these we started doing presentations inside type form not only with videos but with the basics of accessibility as well because one thing that i think it is it is a, a barrier is people not understanding even the basics. So when you don't understand the basics, you are actually afraid to start something. But as soon as you move past these basics, it's something that, okay, I, now I already understand a bit more. I can continue learning and understanding. And I think this happened at Typeform. So once people started seeing the importance and having a basic understanding, they started caring much more. So. And then this became this collective thing. People not only and people not only from the engineer, the, the engineering, the design, and the PMs, the these teams, they started caring. Everyone else started caring. Again, at Typeform, we also were able to to have training in the beginning. So we hired a company that also gave us some training, and these also helped us to start on this accessibility journey. Yeah, I like what you said around the fact that it's intimidating and it's true that accessibility as a topic can seem like, yeah, it can be, you can feel a bit daunted by the aspect of it. Um, it feels very technical to some extent. It feels to touch the, I guess, the more developer side as well. So when you don't come from an engineering background, you might be like, oof, I'm not sure how I can get into that field. And it, it's nice to make training and insights from um from users more accessible because then people can actually see in their eyes in a way that is very easily digestible i guess and you can spread that knowledge in the teams and get people inspired and yeah i think this is super effective yeah i think as you said uh, like it, it is something daunting it is something that and i think a lot of people they walk in eggshells when we, we speak about accessibility 
And what we learned was like, it is a big mistake to think this way. Like the issue is not you trying to make something accessible and making mistakes while you're trying. It's the issue is not even trying. Like if you're trying and making mistakes, it's good. It means that you're trying and at some point you're going to learn and you're going to make it better. But if you're just because of this fear, you're not even trying. It means that your experience will continue not being accessible for the, the near future. So I think we need to start changing these, like be afraid of not doing any change at all, not doing some changes and making them wrong. Uh, when you talk about um, what happened after you started, you know, interviewing people and uh, it, it almost sounded like, you know, by bringing those user insights into the company and into the team, people almost had like a bit of an aha moment in terms of, ah, oh, this is people with access needs who talk about their access needs or, or you know, uh, sharing sharing what they, how they're using the product or, or how they experience the world. And it, it reminds me of some of the aha moments I had as well when I was um, doing user interviews, not for, not for accessibility specifically, but but kind of, um, what's the word, um, serendipitously through those interviews with people who are using the product that I just recruited from a normal normal base of, of um, yeah, and users. Uh, a couple of times, one of them would say, oh, yeah, I'm finding this hard to read, but, you know, that's my dyslexia. Or uh, another time, um, someone I was interviewing was sharing their screen and showing how they're using the product, and I could see that uh, all of this this person's windows were super zoomed in. Uh, and so I asked, like, well, oh, do you always use use um, your apps super zoom, zoomed in like this? It's like, oh, yeah, my, my eyesight isn't great, so I need, to, I need to see this. And, you know, that's sort of like those moments where you're like, of course, like not everyone uses our products the way we use it on the kind of quote unquote normal resolution or, or zoomed in um, lens and dyslexia and other other learning difficulties like that are super common and everyone can either, you know, can relate or knows someone with those things. So, yeah, bringing those stories into the team and into the company through these user interviews, I think, are is super impactful. Yeah. And, and I think the, these relates um, a lot to Microsoft has has a great um, great material on that, um, and they talk about the persona spectrum. Um, I think when we speak about disabilities, um, most of us we always think about the permanent disabilities, but we also have people that have temporary disabilities. So if you broke an arm, it's going to be a temporary thing, but for some time you won't be able to use the arm. Um, at the same time, you have situational disabilities. If you had a baby and you are holding a baby, you're not going to be able to use the arm that you're holding a baby. So once we start improving the experience, we improve for all of this spectrum. Um, and we saw that this was much, much bigger than we, we thought, than we understood. Um, something as simple when we did, one improvement that we did was to make sure that iForms could be navigated only using keyboard and as soon as we did that we saw that our the number of people completing typeforms only with the keyboard tripled and this is not only people with permanent disabilities using these are people that just prefer to use the the keyboard when navigating something they find it easier they they don't want to touch the mouse so you improve this for everyone 
And I think this is something that sometimes we forget and we try to, we only think in a small group and actually this small group is not, not that small. Um, we had, I think on the, on our design team, we also, once we saw, um, we saw one of the users that one of the, the people that we were interviewing, we saw him using the nose to, to use the screen. And the person said the same, it's exactly the same as I use when it's winter and I'm wearing gloves that I can't use um, my gloves. I, I don't have to touch on my gloves. So I just use my, my nose to see something on the, to check something on the phone and to, to move something. So if you improved for one, you improved for the other one as well. You made it easier to use. That's such a, such a quick example, actually. I'm imagining this in my head <laughs> someone just using their nose. <laughs> it's it's crazy actually. Now that I, I guess it, it comes down to not knowing enough about the topic. So you make that very scary picture in your head that as you said, it's only, you know, really heavy disabilities, for example, that are represented straight away in your mind. And we don't actually understand all of the nuances and context that come and play in that field. And yeah, I think that's why it's so crucial that we we build knowledge and we spread it. Because as you said, if we make these improvements, everyone can really benefit from them. And that's actually quite powerful. Yeah, and I think it, it is exactly as, as, as you, you said, Susan, um, you were doing usability tests, a routine usability tests, which made you have an aha moment. I think all of us that at some point did a usability test, we saw that, okay, what we were thinking was completely wrong. Like the users did something totally different or they said something that was very different than what we thought. And it's exactly the same. Once we started interviewing, like we had such a better perspective, a bigger perspective of what we were trying to solve. And for us, it was very humbling and showed that how important it was and how big it was. Um, what do you think are the consequences of not designing accessibly or the, the implications of not designing accessibly? I think first and most of all is you don't have a democratic uh, product uh, or service. Um, it's, you're not doing something for, for everyone. Um, and these, I think the, the foundation of these is that you are actually not doing a complete product. Um, you don't design a product where you don't think of uh, of a loading state. Like, do you do you hand, how do you handle when there is not a good internet speed? How do you handle errors? You need to know. You need to make sure that you can handle everything. And I think this is the biggest consequence: is you actually don't have a complete product. You have a product that is half done. Um, even if some people can use it, it's, it's not everyone that can use it. Um, and as we saw, it's the usability is most probably the not the not the best usability that you could have. We saw during tests that once we improved our accessibility, we also improved the usability of our product. So, and of course there are, there are points that you need to understand. Um, where do you go? you go super far into making all the shortcuts possible and so on or do you find a middle ground that works really well for everyone 
And I think this is where we try to to place ourselves to make sure that everyone can have a good experience using. It's not having the best experience for only a small group. Um, I, I think we've talked a bit about this already, but I was wondering what do you think are the must-haves that a product organization need to have in place to be accessible? And and I guess for people that maybe are in the early days, you know, um, on in the accessibility journey, I guess, how can they get started and what do they need to put in place? Okay, then it's... Um... I think here we, we can split into two. I think it's like, what do we need to have as an organization to make sure that we're as accessible as possible? And I'll try to talk about, okay, the best thing we could have, um, but also how you could start if you're a smaller organization or if you don't even have the buying from the whole organization, but you still need to start. Um, I think... As an organization, the best thing you can have is to have buy-in from all the stakeholders, from from leadership to down, so that everyone has an understanding of how important it is and they want to make sure that it is accessible. Usually a company that does this will have an accessibility statement that they will put um, in public showing how they want to be accessible, what they want to care about. And I think as soon as you have these, accessibility will be part of, the, of your foundation, of the foundation of your organization. And then you are really ready to tackle accessibility. Second thing we saw is that you need to have training. It's impossible for you to ask people to solve accessibility when you don't have training for it. You need to upskill everyone. And not only you need to upskill everyone that is inside the company, you need to make sure that anyone new coming, they can be a, they can have a training on these as well. Companies is more than normal that it will have rotation. So you don't want the accessibility knowledge to leave with the people that are leaving. So once you have training, I think you remove this first barrier of people having a bit of fear of working on these. And then we enter the process. You have to have a process. You need you need to make sure that your engineers understand what means to be accessible, your research team, your designers, your PMs as well, so that once you are building something, you know what you need to do to make sure that it is accessible. Once you find an issue, you know how you prioritize these to guarantee that your that your experience is still accessible. And then you have the other part is if you're a smaller one, if you are a small team, or if you are just a person that is interested in this, it is a bit harder um, because sometimes you you will yourself have, have to start helping people understand accessibility and helping educate them. So first of all, educate yourself, like try to get a training, understand what it is. And then try to educate others, show how important it is. Um, you can start at Typeform. We started a guild, an, an accessibility guild. So it was just we had um, every 15 days we had a meeting, which we would talk about accessibility. In the beginning, we were just doing presentations to upskill people so that people could understand the basics of accessibility, how accessibility, how we should design to make sure we were accessible 
how engineers should code to make sure that they were accessible. And now later, nowadays, it's about um, asking questions, um, making sure that showing new things that are coming to accessibility. So it grew a bit, but in the beginning, we had this group. So little by little, you start informing people because I think as our engineers did in the beginning is if you have only a small team, don't don't stop there. Like start there with this small team, show how good it can be. You have to put the work. It's it's you really have to work hard and make sure that you can do a good thing there and you show how good it is, and then you can start expanding. Um, but again, I think we go back to the point. You have to make it good, but don't worry about making it right. It can be wrong in the beginning. Um, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You just have to start. Yeah, I sometimes think about um, accessibility and, and making it um, making it part of your design process uh, as a parallel to to how you build design systems as well and compone componentize and pat and and make sure you have you know in, like consistent buttons and that sort of thing uh, because we often find ourselves with an existing product, uh, lots of features, uh, lots of designs already done, and it lives out in the world, and then it's not accessible. And so how do you kind of retrofit uh, an existing product so that it's accessible? And it's it's a similar challenge as when you're, you have that existing product, and um, you've built it on very uh, kind of ad hoc designs, and then you decide, okay, we need a design system, and how do you retrofit the product to a design system? So, um, yeah, it's similar challenges, but you kind of need to. I like how you approach it with a guild. I've had similar things in in other companies as well, where we had accessibility. Um, uh, was it not tribunal? <laughs> what do we call it? Chapters, <laughs> not tribunal. <laughs> I think that's negative. Uh, and so you have a group of, of very passionate champions who come together, and um, and and uh, as you mentioned as well, that they're they're engineers and product people and designers, and not just you know one person or one discipline. I think is really uh, really important. Um, but following up on that, if if you're if you don't have any any product uh, or you're designing something greenfield like you're designing something new. Um, at what point do you, do you think about accessibility or how early do you think about accessibility when you're designing something new? Um, yeah, I think I think that this depends a lot. I think once you have a better understanding of accessibility, accessibility just becomes part of, of your process. You, Whenever you are designing, you are already thinking of how you can make this accessible, how you can make sure that everyone can use it. Um, but I think this also depends on the type of project that you are doing. Sometimes if it is just something that something small that we're improving um, or a feature that we're building that it's not very different from what we've done before, the accessibility can, can be taken into account once we are actually designing. Um, it can be when we are working on Figma, if it's building the wireframes or the interface directly and understand how this would work. But sometimes the project can be a bit bigger and we want to have a better understanding. So we might start, even, even if we weren't taking accessibility into account, we would start interviewing users. And at this point, we will also want to interview assistive technology users to make sure that we get everyone's perspective on their understanding of 
that project, that feature that we are trying to build. So it, I think that it's as most things, like it will depend a lot on what you, what you are actually building. Um, one thing is for sure, once you are designing, you will take into, uh, into account accessibility. You will have to think about how people are gonna use that, what, how the different technologies will be able to use that and how your design will have to adapt to make sure that um, you give access to everyone. So yeah, we had projects that we interviewed users to have an understanding. We had projects that we went straight to design and once we had some prototypes or even a bit of the, a bit of the code part, we did usability tests to understand. Uh, we showed two different versions, trying to understand what worked better or not and why it worked better. And, and yeah, and after we also shipped, we are still working on it. Sometimes after we ship, we'll also do more, um, more usability tests, see how it went, and then come back with the issues we found and then uh, fix them. It sounds like any other part of the process where we, yeah, we learn, we try something, we test it, we learn again, and then we go back and we iterate. And I guess it's the same, it's the same process as for any other design project. It's just obviously focused on accessibility. So that's quite interesting because uh, I guess we can all start working that way because we're already doing it. So we can just apply to accessibility. <laughs> um, I was wondering if you could talk maybe a bit more about uh, I guess, uh, yeah, just focusing on the geeky details, I guess, uh, of, of your Figma files and how you work with engineers to to design a product that is accessible. Because obviously when, when I'm thinking about accessibility, I'm thinking about all of these roles and doing color checks, for example, and all of these things. But what does that concretely look like in that handover that you have from design to engineering? What kind of guidelines do you have? What kind of conversations do you have with engineering? I think that might be helpful to know a bit about this. Uh, yeah, so I think um, I think that it's great nowadays that we have uh, the for I think here I will talk maybe more to the people that use Figma. Um, we use Figma, so um, but if even if you don't use, you can check. Um, you have the Figma communities, and there are quite some companies that are already showing there how they do. So I, I remember when we were, nowadays we have uh, accessibility kit on Figma, a component kit, but one, when we were building, we were actually looking at others that are there. So companies like Microsoft, Twitter, Indeed, they do show how they, um, how they put the accessibility, all the accessibility marks on their screens on inside Figma and how they will show and how do they, they will do the handoff. So we just got a lot of them. We got the learnings that we had also from the past and we started adding these and turn these. We, we did two things. Uh, we did a checklist on Figma of everything that we had to make sure we took into account, but also these components. So for every item on the checklist, you had some components that would help you to highlight the accessibility feature or the accessibility annotation that you had there. So nowadays my files will be showing the designs, um, showing the screens that we are doing. Any other, um, 
how do we how do we, how would I say any other use case that we might have as we were saying before how do we handle loading states how do we handle errors um, how do we handle different screen sizes and everything like this but we will also have a part where we speak a lot about accessibility so color contrast checks usually we do put um, on the main elements there, if we don't have on our on our design system already, we might put there, how's the color contrast to make sure that we can check and see if it's working or not. We'll put, um, we'll put also the, the headings. So if, if it has a heading, we'll put landmarks there to show what is the main or what is a, a different region so these are all the components we have. We, ha we also have an explanation of what these components are. I think Indeed does a really good job also explaining what they are. Um, and we do all of these. A lot of the things are technical. It's not something that once I started designing, was, oh, yeah, this is it. It's super easy. And I'll put there. And I think this was a very honest conversation with the developers as well. It's like, look, the same way as you learned about accessibility, I'm also learning. So I'm gonna try to to show and to to highlight here as much as I can do. But I also need for you, all of you to review these and like let me know what is not correct. What do you think should be different, done in a different way? And we will start improving. And with these, we started improving. So I think every file that we do nowadays, it's a little bit better um, from comparing to the, the previous one. So, so yeah, it's screens, um, all the states that we need to have and accessibility annotations. Um, and it goes to name, row and values that are also a bit more technical, um, different screen sizes, how it adapts to Zoom as well and yeah, and everything between there. Just a, another bit of a geeky question about how you how you actually um, test for accessibility, I suppose. So um, you mentioned that you you regularly interview uh, people who use assistive technology. Do you do you almost have like a, a like a, you know similar to when engineers test uh, across browsers? Do you, do you have some sort of matrix of assist, assistive technologies that you need to test for? Like we need to test. Uh, with users who use each of these or how does that work in in practice are you more opportunistic in in who you who you invite to test um your products yeah i think um with this partner um that we have we are lucky that we we have some tests there that we can send and they will give us already most like the main assist technology technologies so they will uh, we'll always test with um, screen readers, with alternative navigation, that it will also depend on if we are testing on desktop or mobile, this might change, screen magnification as well. And we, I think we can send to many different users or many different assistive technologies, or we can also specify one. So usually what we do is in the first test, we send to as many as possible on desktop and on mobile. Then we analyze these tests. And if we understand, if we see that there is one specific technology and 
technologies, not even the, the assistive technology, but also the browser and the platform. So if we see that for some reason, screen readers on Safari on iOS is having a lot of issues, we will send a specific test to just that technology. And then a lot of times we'll do a call with, uh, with a user for this specific technology to, act, to really understand and to be able to see them using the screen to understand what are the, like to really go in deep, um, really go in depth in the issue. And also the developers to actually see how can, how can they fix this. This reminds me of something I, I come across uh, every so often when I try to champion for accessibility. Um, and for example, I'll say, uh, oh, we need to make sure that this design or this product or this feature works with um, screen readers. And then someone will kind of come back and say, oh, I've checked the analytics and we have very few, we have no screen reader users. But then that doesn't, like in my mind, that doesn't make sense because like if we're not accessible for people with screen readers then of course they're not they're not going to show up in analytics so you don't know if you know we have few users who use screen readers because they don't use our product because they don't like it or because it's not accessible you know so you kind of go around in these circles um of people are just like oh look at the data the 80 percent are on are using it normally you know um so my question is um what uh, what are the most common misconceptions you come across or, or misconceptions or pushback almost from other people when you talk about accessibility um, and, and try to champion it? What, what kind of challenges do you face? Um, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's a lot, of, as you said, it's, um, it's people thinking that making accessible will, you will only fix issues for people with permanent disabilities. And I think this is, the biggest one it's you will not you will most likely improve the experience for everyone so if you make sure that you are thinking of everyone every single person will benefit from the changes that you're going to do from the improvements that you're going to do so and exactly as you said like this is not something that you can measure at first um you you should if you don't have a good experience, people are not going to use. So how do you justify in terms of analytics? And again, it's about making sure that your product is complete, is a, is making sure that you are designing something that is well done. And then this is not about analytics. You, you shouldn't be looking at analytics. You'd, you don't look at analytics to see if your product is half done or finished. It's you finish the product and you see the analytics to see if you're performing well or not, but you need to make sure that your product is hundred percent done and hundred percent done means being accessible, making sure that everyone can use. So, and as, um, as we said before, when we improved the navigation, the number was super small of users using the, the keyboard, but it was because we couldn't, once we improved, it tripled. And this triple didn't come only for, from permanent disabilities. It came from users that just thought using keyboard was better. So you improved the experience for them as well. Um, and I think here, I think I will enter more on the visual side of the experience of visual design. A lot of designers think that if you make an experience accessible, you will make it 
less appealing. You'll have to have more contrast. You'll have to um, to have focus states and so on. It might be harder because you will have to have more considerations for sure. You need to take many more things into account. But if you if you work a bit harder, you can also make a good experience out of this. You can make sure that you turn these small things that you need to add into something nice that you can add there. And with time, you will see that these small things will actually improve the visual of your, of your product. I think at Typeform, we took quite some care to make sure that we just, I think a lot of people, when we say adding uh, accessibility, these visual clues on accessibility, they just add whatever um, to make sure that they are accessible. And then adding whatever makes, it can make it less appealing. But if you make sure that you have a well thought um, system there that you can understand all your elements and how they should work, you will end up with something that is super nice. And again, improves the usability for everyone. It's not only people that are using the keyboard that will benefit from focus states, will also people that have dyslexia that are have, find hard to focus on the things on the screen. So you improve for everyone. Yeah, actually, uh, I like what you said that we shouldn't look too much analytics when we consider doing accessibility because I agree that you can if if you don't have an accessible product then you're not going to have an inclusive one so obviously how could you expect as you said people to, to use in the first place but I was wondering you were saying um, that obviously if you don't have an accessible product then your product is not 100% done and you should be focusing on having a 100% done product and I'm wondering actually whether it, it is feasible to have a 100% done product especially in a, you know in, in, in tech usually we tend to shift focus quite often and we tend to release something and we're being told we're releasing an MVP and then you know things happen we get learnings and new priorities happen and we don't come back and if we decide to do accessibility as an iteration I guess so we've left it for later then we may not actually go back to you know polish those details that are extremely important as well so I was wondering how how do you navigate that space and how do you keep advocating to to go back on those details that matter? Yeah, so a hundred a hundred percent not um, like n no product is done. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And um, as I think as we we said before, we know that from time to time we'll ship something that is breaking accessibility. Uh, we we try. We have the process to make sure that we don't, but we know that at some point we, we're going to be, and we need to understand that, okay, if this happens, it's okay. We just need to make sure that we know how to recover from it. I think what one, um, talking about a product that, yeah, we have an MVP, we might like try to remove as much as possible from the scope so that we can release something quick. I think the way that we do it, Typeform, once you start with accessibility, your components will start being accessible as well. So part of the accessibility will be solved. It will still miss. Um, sometimes when you're doing new things, there will be new components. These new components might add to a new experience that you have to make it accessible. The way that we're doing nowadays is if we have to 
to ship something fast just as an experiment, we don't need to check everything regarding accessibility. We have to take them into account because in the end, the experience might change a bit. So from the beginning, we take them into account, but there are a few things that we might cut and we might not ship on this experiment because the, the truth is that we might not even ship this. So we will ship to a very small percentage of users. Luckily, we do have a lot of people using Typeform, so we can ship to a small percentage and understand how it impacted. And once we make the decision to know, okay, it, it was, it improved the experience, we will ship it, then we will rework and add every single thing. So we productize that part. And I think because we have an agreement at Typeform that our respondent experience needs to be accessible, everyone knows that we need to build in accessibility. We need to make sure that it is accessible. So this is when we also will do user interviews or at least the usability tests with the different types of, of assistive technology. Um, but yeah, like for the beginning, the MVP, MVP, we might have a few things missing, but I think it's the trade-off. It's um, like we say that it's okay to have for, for this beginning, but it's not okay if we, actually go into production with these so we like it, it's how we're we've been handling i'm not saying that it's the right uh, i think hopefully we'll continue improving that much that we'll see in a few months years that yeah this was not right and we're in a much better place but i think these are all the learnings that we're having so far yeah, I mean, these are questions that are really hard to balance anyway. And as you said, you have to learn and, and, and see what works. But I like what you said, though, about the fact that having a, a strong system in place and a strong process can already get you halfway, like having components that are accessible, that are reusable, is kind of already helping designers to make sure that the you know, some basics are done, at least at the stage of testing um, new features. And that's almost reassuring, actually, because, you know, if you put the hard work in at the beginning to put that system in place, then that means less work down the line for the teams to be accessible as well. And I also really like what you said about making it almost a principle for the team as well of like this part of the experience must be accessible for X, Y, Z reason. And as a team, we have that principle. And that's also very powerful because then it's uh, nobody will really go against it because the team agreed to just have that as a principle and have it on boards. Um, as part of the day-to-day. -day. So I think that's also really, really cool. I always, uh, when I do design QA, I always um, test the thing or, or QA the thing, whatever it is, by um, keyboard navigating only. And if if I hit a block, if I can't, if I can't navigate somewhere without um, using a mouse or a trackpad, that, that's a bug. That's <laughs> like it's broken. It doesn't work. And so as a part of it is sort of reframing. If you if you, if you want to really promote uh, and uh, make sure that uh, promote accessibility and make sure it's accessible then to me it's helped to kind of reframe what is what is passable what is quality if I can't for example um, use this properly with a screen reader or a voiceover on Mac or if I can't navigate this thing with a keyboard then it's, it's not functional fix this bug <laughs> it's kind of like I log a ticket for it so yeah it's almost a bit of a mental reframing <laughs> reframing the problem 
All right, we've had a really nice uh, discussion with our guest, Yuri Marchens, about accessibility. Um, I never tire from talking about accessibility. It's an evergreen, interesting uh, topic. So thanks so much for coming on board. I really appreciate it. Um, how do I ask this? Uh, I'll just ask. <laughs> um, do you have any resources on accessibility that you want to share with our, our listeners so they can go and learn more or maybe... Uh, people to follow or books to read or anything like that yeah first of all thank you so much both for having me so super super nice to to have this conversation i think there are quite a lot of resources nowadays um being um like handbooks uh books but also the figma communities maybe i can i can send um to you um and we can make it available somewhere um so that i think I think it won't make a lot of sense to say um, URLs and, and book names and Figma community names and so on. But um, yeah, that would be super nice. Awesome. Yeah, send them to us and then we'll include the links in the episode description. All right. Um, thanks so much. This was episode 51. Follow us on Twitter at uh, UX underscore maturity. Uh, LinkedIn, we're UX maturity. And our website is UX maturity podcast.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode.